Father, we do need you now. Lord, we need you always. So many of us in this room right now, God, we need to feel your presence. We need to know it in our heart and our soul that you will never leave us. You will never forsake us. You are right here with us. You are the Savior. Father, we need your mercy. We have to have your grace. Thank you, Father, that we know that you are our advocate. You stand in the gap for us in a way that no one else can. You have brought us salvation. You love us like no other. Now, Father, open our minds, open our hearts. That as we hear from your word, as we read your word, as your Holy Spirit speaks to us, that we would be changed in the way that you desire. And it's in the holy, precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Adults, you can be seated. Children that are with us in the room, if you will head towards the back door back there, Miss Sarah will be with you and we'll show you the new path over to the uh, Kids Worship Center today and probably for the next couple of weeks. Parents, thanks for bearing with us in an unfortunate week of events. We thought that the flood would not return. It did. But it is what it is, and uh, we have a great team that worked everything out, and it's going to be all right. I cannot tell you how exciting it was to come in on Thursday morning about 7.45, and when I pulled up, I saw a new asphalt going down, and I'm like, this is going to be the best day ever. And I just parked over here and prayed and thanked the Lord for it, and then I decided to go into the building next door, only to realize that I walked into a river, and it wasn't the river I was looking for. Well, I tell you what, we've got some awesome men that came and helped clean that place out and dry it out. And now we've got professionals working on it. It's going to be a minute, but uh, thanks for working with us. So today we are one more week into being the neighbor, uh, learning to love people the way that Christ has called us to love people. And, and I want to help you through that one more step today. And today is about being the advocate or being an advocate of the people that are around you, standing in the gap where it needs to be stood in, showing mercy where it needs to be shown, loving people in the way they need to be loved for one ultimate purpose so that they would see Christ in it. That is the goal in this. So you're probably like most of the people that are sitting around you in this room today. You need people in your corner. We, we won't have everybody in our corner. That's unrealistic. We probably won't have a lot of people in our corner. But we need people. We need our people in our corner. We need people who will stand in the gap for us. Uh, people especially need people with right hearts, with right motives, with, with not some secondary purpose for helping you out. You need people who who will love you in that way, who genuinely care about you. Biblically, we're talking about the neighbor who God puts in our path. 
And that path that he gives us sometimes may lead us to a road to take an extra mile on this, even to people that, well, we may not naturally run into, so we purposely go that direction. It's what God's called us to. I think about the specific purpose that God has created all of us for. It's not always clearly defined what that purpose is. There are clear purposes like taking the gospel, teaching, baptizing. There are clear things like that. But then there are things like loving neighbors like this that are not so clear for us. We just know we're supposed to do it. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says it like this. We are God's masterpiece. That's every believer. You are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. And I believe so clear as you walk through scripture that one of those things that he has called us to do is to love our neighbor. It is said so many times because first it almost always says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then the second one, it comes on the tail of it almost every time. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love people. Love people. Now some of you in this room, I, just, I, I love God, I just struggle with people. You're not alone, that's all of us. If it weren't for people, church would be amazing all the time, right? No, it really wouldn't be. You know, if it weren't for the people, school would be amazing all the time. Teaching would be amazing. Being a doctor would be amazing. If it weren't for the employees that you have to work with, work would be amazing, right? Isn't that kind of the way it worked? Um, the skating rink, I remember growing up, it would have been amazing had it not been for all the people. You see what I'm talking about? When I used to ride ATVs all the time, the tracks would be amazing if it weren't for all the People, you see where we're going with this? So God has to put something unique and special inside of us. That restaurant you want to go to in a little bit, it would be great if it weren't for all the people. You didn't have to wait for 30 minutes to walk in and get a chicken finger. Wouldn't that be awesome? It's the people. So there will always be people that God puts in your path on purpose. He puts them there. He leads you down that path. And so clearly we are called we're even commanded to help whenever and wherever we can it is something that God has done in us it's something that he expects us to do but there is also the passion that God gives us to go further that would literally take us off a path we might normally walk or down a road we wouldn't normally drive or on a mission we would never imagine or here in town to help someone we wouldn't normally go that way and we go there to help to be the neighbor to even pursue people who if you will today need an advocate ultimately they need the advocate but for now you stand in that gap for them so you and I have an advocate it's one of the most encouraging things in Scripture that we have an advocate. He is Jesus. He's the ultimate advocate. But when he left, he said, but it is good that I leave because when I leave, I will leave you an advocate. I will leave you a comforter. I will leave you one who will stand in the gap for you and know who that, you know who that is. It's the very Holy Spirit of God. He is the Holy Spirit. John 14 and verse 16 says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate another it's not a replacement 
It's another advocate. It is the Holy Spirit who will never leave you. So we have the ultimate advocate. The Holy Spirit is the advocate we have. He stands in the gap for us. I think about some of the things that Holy Spirit does for us. He, he prays for us. Literally standing in the gap between us and the Father because we can't approach on our own without what Christ has done. So Holy Spirit stands in the gap for us. He comforts us. He teaches us. What else does the Holy Spirit, the advocate, do for us? He consoles us. When we're hurting, he, he brings peace there. He encourages us. One thing that we don't necessarily like, but I sure am glad he does, and it reminds me that he's present in my life, he convicts us. And not only does he convict us, he heals us. He will take our sin away as far as the east is from the west because of the former advocate, which was Holy Spirit, which was Jesus. So he helps us. He sets us free. We're called to be like Jesus. Living like Jesus, we will also be advocates. How are we to be advocates? I mean, I can't heal anyone. I can't take away anyone's sins. You can't heal anyone. You can't take away anyone's sins. I can't even fix situations right often right we try how do we be the advocate we know who can we know who the advocate is so in loving people loving people to Christ we help them get to Christ we help them find peace and hope and love an advocate an advocate is a person who pleads for the cause of another they want to they want to help out when there's no help available in this case if we're going to be like jesus we stand in the gap for our neighbor we help by the power of the holy spirit and we stick with people through the challenges because there are challenges there are so many challenges that have come on us in the last couple of years we can think about the ones that are right here right now but i can't believe that we actually have a group of 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 young people now that we're probably at one point going to call the corona kids we've got millennials and we've got gen x's and we've got all these but at some point what happened to them that's what happened two years of staying at home with mom and dad two years of in school out of school online school what's a human being what does a face look like it affects people they need advocates we need advocates it's affected mental health. We know that in a very real way. They need the advocate, so we must advocate for them. They plead the cause of another. They stand in the gap. They stick with them. The prophet Micah gives us some incredible advice of how to be the neighbor. It's a passage I've never really looked at like this before, but I believe it's one that's so relevant for us to understand what we have to be the way that God wants us to live the way that God wants us to be the neighbor to people so here we go I want to, I want you to see a, a a unique parallel between the passage in Micah and another one that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago it's a conversation between the people of Israel and the Lord himself 
The prophet Micah had delivered three different messages to his people, to the Jews, to the Israelites. The first message was a message of warning. It was a message that basically said this, if you don't turn back, if you don't repent, then this is what's going to happen. Message number one. Message number two was this. It was the promise of hope in the Lord. It was a promise of security in the Lord if they would repent and put their trust in Christ. That was message number two. Today we're going to look for a few minutes at message number three, which is actually a message that, well, one verse in it we're very familiar with. What we're not familiar with is what came just before that verse. What led to that verse that we cling to so strongly. It was a message, it was a challenge to trust and to obey only the Lord. That was the challenge. Trust only the Lord. That was the way to avoid being punished and to live out God's purpose for them here on earth. And so their challenge to be trusting of God, to obey the Lord, it led to this reply. And again, you've probably not read this in context of the, verb we're gonna re- the verse we're going to read. But I want you to listen to it. Verse 6 in Micah chapter 6. What can we bring to the Lord? Should we bring him burnt offerings? Should we bow before God most high with offerings of, year, uh, of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? I don't know if you heard what they said just then, but okay, what can we do to make this right? What can we do? They knew what they had to do. They've been told, repent and trust, which goes to New Testament. Repent, believe. They've been told what to do. Micah told them very clearly. God had given it to them, and the prophet Micah showed them. But no, their reply was, okay, what can we do to make this work out? And if you're looking at the outside, looking at wait a minute, Micah said, Repent and believe, repent and believe, repent and believe. Put your hope in him, trust him. Okay, now, we've heard that. All right, guys, what do we need to do to make this happen? I mean, do you see that? It's like the coach gives you the entire plan. Go this way, and then you get out on the field, and the quarterback comes to the huddle and says, all right, now, guys, what are we going to do? How are we going to work this out? When you've already been given the plan, we'll get all this stuff we'll give you. We'll even give up our firstborn if that means that that we can have hope. If we can just give enough or maybe make a big enough sacrifice, then the Lord will take care of our sins. And so Micah responds. I want you to see if this sounds anything like what we've heard in the last couple of weeks. And if you hadn't, you can go back to Facebook and uh, look it up as we've uh, got all these online available for you. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. So this is the answer. So what does the Lord require of us? Know, O people of Israel, the Lord has told you what is good and what he requires of you. To do what is right. To love mercy. To walk humbly with your God. 
So do what is right. Love mercy. Walk humbly with God. If you go back with me just a couple of weeks, we looked at a scribe who was in a story, and Jesus answered that story because he, he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he told him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. He says, you've answered wisely. And then he goes on and he gives the story of the good Samaritan because they wanted to do in order to get. And Jesus' answer was, it's impossible for you to do enough to get what you can never earn on your own. That's the parallel that I see in these two. The Lord challenged them to do the impossible. And what did Micah, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord speaking to him, what did he say to them? He asked them to do the impossible. See, what he's asking them to do right here can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit. To, to do justice and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God, it can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. To love only like God can love. So Micah is talking to the people of Israel, but his challenge to them is personal. It's not something to the people of Israel. It's something to every person in Israel. And the, the question, if you kind of read through the, 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 read between the lines, here's what you see. Here's how you be the neighbor. Here's how you genuinely love people the way that, well, ultimately, Christ will love people. Here's how you love people like that. Every individual has to answer the question, what does the Lord require of you? And if you go back, you know what it is. Trust and believe. Repent and believe. That's what we have to do. To love people, to be the neighbor, is to be an advocate for the people that God places in your path, that he puts that unique passion for you as we actually seek them out to help them up. Here's what he calls us to do. And here's the question, will I live this way? It's simple, simple words again, and it's all put together again this week, real nice in a simple package for you. But the first one is this, do justice. Now, what does do justice mean? Because we can't do justice until we've been justified or made right by faith in Christ alone. It can't happen. Paul gives us in Romans chapter 4 and verse 1 the story of Abraham Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of the Jewish nation what did he discover about being made right with God here's what he discovered if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God he would have had something to boast about huh what is that there's Ephesians there's Ephesians that we just did from Ephesians chapter 2 there's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 we just did 10 but that was not God's way, for the scriptures tell us. Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. He was justified because of his faith. And when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. We have to have that advocate. We have to have the Holy Spirit working in us, taking us to the Father, uh, showing us the way to the Christ who made the path for us. Justice. Justice is a place where we wonder sometimes if it's a real thing in the place where we live. Doing right. 
for a huge portion, a huge body of people today. We've decided that our way, our feelings are wiser than the ways of God, according to his word, according to his truth. And so essentially, we say, get behind me, Father, I know better than you do. If you don't believe me, go all the way to the highest office in the United States of America. We think we know better when we have been given what is right, what is truth. Doing justice, doing right is not following the majority because it is the majority. Doing justice is doing right because God says it's the right thing and ultimately God is the majority. That's what doing justice is. That's what doing right is. Doing justice is loving the lives of all people, whether they have just been conceived or whether they are on their deathbed. It's the value in a holy God's eyes to them. Doing justice is making a home for children who don't have a home. Uh, Justice is standing for your own kids, for your own family. Justice is, is standing for those who can't stand for themselves, for the hungry, for the homeless, for those with needs that we can't even imagine. That's doing justice. Doing justice is loving people no matter the color of their skin or the language that they speak or the nation of which they come. It is learning to live righteous because Christ has taught you that by the power of his Holy Spirit and the truth of his word. Do justice. The second one is interesting, and I think it's a hard one for us to kind of figure out exactly what it is. Love mercy. Love mercy. Don't just know what mercy is, but love mercy, which makes you not just be aware of a definition, but you are, it is something that you desire to do. Love mercy. Mercy, the mercy you show to others before you know Jesus will never compare to the mercy that you will be able to show others when you know mercy. Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says it like this, but God is rich in mercy. And and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. Mercy. You want a picture of mercy? It's behind me. It's that cross. That's a picture of the ultimate mercy. Got questions, says it like this. Biblical mercy is, ex- is, an extended, is extended to an offender in the form of forgiveness or to the suffering in the form of healing or other comfort. Mercy can be characterized by compassionate treatment to those in distress. Whether the distress is caused by guilt or penalty of sin or by debilitating physical condition, mercy is there to help. That's what we're called to do. Mercy, and you've been studying this because you've, if you've been in any of our, our life groups on Sunday mornings, you've been walking through this, but mercy, we've been talking about David, and David committed this horrific sin. And when you get to Psalm 51, you know what David does? He cries out, begs God for mercy for what he has done. 
That's exactly what happens there. He begged God for mercy. Mercy is in the New Testament all through where you see parents who cried out for a loved one who was sick or lame or blind or dying and there was no other hope for help. They would cry out for mercy from the Lord. Jesus was the healing answer. Mercy is what Zacharias begged Jesus for as he stood in that sycamore tree saying, Lord, save me. It was mercy that he cried for. Mercy lives out what mercy has experienced. It, is, it, it sees the need for grace. It realizes it is not and never will be deserved, but it is desperately needed. We live in a world that would rather stomp on people often than to show mercy. Christ's church should not be that person. That's the wrong kind of neighbor. Mercy is standing in the gap for your neighbor. Mercy is praying for your neighbor. And if I can just say this one more time because I want us to hear this. I want us to get this. Praying for your neighbor is not them saying, hey, will you pray for me about this? And you say, yeah, I'll pray for you. And that's where it ends. That is not praying for your neighbor. That's, that's, that's a lie. Matter of fact, the only way that I can keep from doing that, because nine times out of ten, that's where it ends up landing, even if I end up putting it in my, my app or something so that I try to remember to pray for it. That kind of mercy is shown when somebody says, will you pray for me about this? It means you stop and you pray for them about this. Well, you might be late for something. People might think you're funny. I'm not talking about making a big show in front of people. You may be quiet in someone's ear that's right beside you. The Lord hears you. That is mercy in action. Pray for them right now. James 1 and verse 27 says, pure and genuine religion. In other words, being the neighbor. In the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the Lord corrupt you. I see mercy and I see justice there. Do you see both of those? Don't let the world stay with what is righteous. Don't let the world corrupt you. Show mercy. Real love doesn't just do what is right. It insists on mercy, grace for those that need it. And let's just be real. Who needs grace? Yes. Yes, they all need it. Here's the last one. You do justice, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. I've always wondered why this one came last. I think it's a gentle, not so gentle reminder of where all the rest of it comes from. Because you won't have mercy and you won't understand justice unless you have humbly bowed before a holy God. It's where it all starts, to humbly walk with God. We have to first bow humbly before Him. It's the realization that we are nothing and we can do nothing without Him. James chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up in honor. Or he will lift you up in due time, as some translations say. That's where it begins. That's where we start. It's where it all, it's where the rubber begins to meet the road, and it's with our face before the Lord. 
It's bowing before him. This is recognizing God for who he is. It's making sure that we are in our place. If you think about it, the exact opposite of this is Satan. What did he want? He wanted to be exalted above God. Humility is making sure that you understand you are below. That he is God and we are not. It's recognizing and it's trusting God's justice that he is right always. No matter if we like what he says or not, he is right. No matter whether we understand it or not, he is right. Walking humbly with God is experiencing his mercy. It is never getting over that mercy that he has shown us. It is demonstrating that mercy to a neighbor and becoming an advocate for them. Humility with God means we never forget that we aren't the answer, that he is the answer. And folks, in loving your neighbor, loving your neighbor, that's what we're called to do. We love our neighbors because he's first loved us. He is demonstrated, lived, died for, resurrected for, returns for. This is love. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 says it like this. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. That's your neighbor. He gave up his life for us. We give up our life for our brothers and sisters. Verse 17, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, it's the same word for mercy, shows no mercy, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Do you see what just screams through that passage? So it just jumps off and hangs out with us. And if you have a hard time, I want you to be able to remember where this verse comes from. We hold on tightly to our salvation from John chapter 3 and verse 16. We remember what it's about and what's supposed to happen in us with 1 John 3.16. Cling to that. It will help you so much. What I see is if you see someone that needs mercy and you do nothing, you feel nothing, do you really know Jesus? It's a hard question. It's a real question. It's one that you want to be able to answer. So how, how, do we, how do we be an advocate for your neighbor this week? It's simple. Humble yourself before God. We're going exactly opposite of what we just did. Humble yourself before God. That's where you start. The second one is this. Live out mercy in a specific way this week. And let God do that in your life. And when you feel it, deal it. Deal with it. The last one, do the just thing even when the world won't celebrate with you. Humility, mercy, justice. I want you to stand where you are. 
The reality is in this room, there is a step that all of us need to take because we need to be able to answer, ask and answer that question. And that question is this. Do I know the Lord that way? The same way that was challenged of the scribe, the same way that was challenged of, by Micah to the people of Israel. Will I repent and will I believe? If you haven't, this is your opportunity to take that first step. And I encourage you to take that first step today. If you have taken that step, humility will ultimately lead us to follow the Lord in believers' baptism. Humility will lead us to a place of justice, wanting to do the right thing to honor God because of the almost injustice He has shown us by the grace that He has shown us. And then showing mercy to others. God's doing something in lives of this place. He's doing something in your life. Some of you need to humble yourself before the Lord today. Some of you need to let God show mercy through you. And maybe that starts by bowing your face before him today. I don't care if it's at your seat. I don't care if it's down here. I don't care if it's going to a friend and talking this out. Maybe you come talk to Drew or me. Your job is to be obedient to the Lord. Father, we need you now like never before. Thank you for the grace you've shown. May we receive it, and then may we give it in Jesus' name. Amen. If God's speaking to you, come right now. Do not wait one second.